Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Core, where we're defining the five values of who we are and what we're most passionate about. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Cherry Hills family. I'm thankful we can gather together today. Thanks for joining us. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought that the decisions that we make are determined by what we value? And what I mean when I say values, if you're following in your notes, values are our core beliefs, highest priorities, and fundamental driving forces. Our values are what we believe at our core. They're foundational to who we are, and we all have values. And I think it's so important that we know what our values are because what we value has a significant impact on how we live. If you're following in your notes, values guide behavior. And we could also say that our behavior reveals our values. For example, in our family, one of our core values is honesty. So our boys know that they're always going to get in more trouble for lying than they would if they tell us the hard truth. And we've tried to create an environment where it feels safe to tell the truth. But honesty is a core value. Likewise, another value we have in our family, and you're going to hear about this in two weeks, is that we want to relate rightly to one another. So when our boys have an argument, they know what's coming. They know I'm going to ask them the question, are you more concerned right now about relating rightly or being right? They, they roll their eyes at me, but secretly I know they really appreciate when I ask that question. But it's a value of ours. We want to relate rightly. So, so it's important for us to name our values, but also to evaluate our behavior to see if those two things are lining up. And if we say we value something, but our behavior does not reveal that, then there's a disconnect there. And there needs to be a course correct. But that can only take place if we know our core values and evaluate our behaviors in light of them. It's also critical that we name our core values as a church. Our core values are the DNA of our church. They influence our decisions. They, they guide our behavior. They shape our culture. So as we begin 2021, we're beginning a new series, if you're following in your notes, called CORE, where we're defining the five values of who we are and what we're most passionate about. And over the next five weeks, we'll be talking about a different core value that is foundational to who we are as a church. These five values are not new. I, I would suggest that they've been the, a part of Cherry Hill's DNA for years and years. We're just naming them again and saying them out loud so that we're all on the same page together as we pursue life together. And here's our hope by the end of the series. Here's our hope. As we pursue life together in this next season, we want everyone in our church family to know who we are, and what we're passionate about. We want everybody to know what guides our behavior. And I believe by naming these values, it catalyzes us and it energizes us to pursue Jesus' mission together. It can influence how we live. And in addition, 
If you're a guest here, if you're joining us this morning and you're, you're a guest, we want to invite you to pursue life together with us, but we want to know what you're saying yes to if you choose to pursue life together with us. That's only fair. So you've chosen a great Sunday to be here. As we begin talking about our core values, I just want to say a couple more things uh, to clarify. Values are not mission. Our values are not our mission. Churches all have the same mission or they should have the same mission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is called the Great Commission. And would you read this with me on your screen? It says, Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission statement is based off of Matthew 28 and you can see that on the screen right now. Would you read our mission statement together? It says, growing disciples who make disciples. That's why we exist. We exist to point people to Jesus and teach them how to live the way of Jesus. In addition, values are not our vision. Vision is where churches start to differentiate. It's a preferred future. What are you striving for? And our vision statement here, you can see it on the screen. I want to invite you to read that out loud as well. Our vision is to see people of every generation give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. So where core values come in is core values supply the reasons behind our mission and our vision. There are values behind each decision made, each goal set, each problem solved. I, I, I say it this way, if you're following in your notes, we are mission and vision focused and values driven. We don't always get this right, but this is our plumb line for what we want to uphold. So the first of the five values that we want to talk about today is that we want to be a church that is Jesus-centered. We want to be a church that's Jesus-centered, a church where he is the focus of our message and our hope. And, and because that's a core value and it drives our mission and vision, what this means is that every service, every song, every prayer, every message, every ministry, every group, every organization or missionary that we partner with is Jesus-centered. This core value guides our behavior. If you're a part of our church for any length of time, we would hope this core value would be immediately evident in our actions. It's that important to us to be Jesus-centered. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time together is talk about why this is a core value. Why are we Jesus-centered? To do that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Open your Bibles or get on your, your smart devices. Colossians chapter 1. It's about two-thirds of the way back in the New Testament. It's a set of Paul's letters uh, to the church uh, at Galatia, uh, Ephesus, um, Philippi and Colossae. I remember that. Uh, this always helps me. General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if that helps you. So Colossians chapter one. 
While you're finding your way there, Paul wrote this letter to a church in a city named Colossae in the year 60 AD. This is just 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. Some people in this church probably saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter because the church was struggling because some people had started coming to the church and questioning who Jesus really was. They were teaching that Jesus was less than God. He may have been an important person, but he certainly was not equal to God. They were even saying things like, you can have Jesus, but he's not enough. You can have Jesus, but you need a little bit of angel worship. Or you can have Jesus, but you need a little bit of Judaism. Or you can have Jesus, but you need to have some spiritual enlightenment that nobody else has. Some people were teaching that Jesus wasn't enough and he certainly wasn't God. And Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians to remind them of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. I've asked my friend John to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20 It's an ent- in its entirety so we can hear the beauty of the words in this passage. It's actually a song of the early church that they would sing together. So I want to invite you to just listen to these words right now. A reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, John. That is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And those may be the most significant verses in the Bible that tell us who Jesus is. So I want to go back through that scripture to answer why we have the core value of being Jesus-centered. So, To begin, I want to invite you to read the first sentence in that first gray box on your notes or the words on your screen. Let's read verse 15 together. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The the first thing we see in this passage and the first reason we are Jesus-centered, if you're following in your notes, is because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The word for image, and you may want to write this in your notes, in verse 15, the the word for image is icon, and it means exact representation. And when it comes to God, if you want to know who God is, you don't have to speculate. You read, you study, and you watch Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The book of Hebrews affirms this in chapter 1, verse 3. You can see this on your screen. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. That word for exact representation there meant an impress, an impress left by a seal on wax. Jesus is the exact imprint of God because Jesus is God. So you may be wondering how that works, right? Like, how is Jesus God? And how is Jesus the Son? And how is God the Father? And where is the Holy Spirit in all this? Listen, I can't fully explain this. There is a mystery to it. But Christianity is different than any other religion in the world because we believe in one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is called the Trinity. I want to put a picture on the screen that, that might help us understand this, although it doesn't take away from the mystery. As you can see in the picture, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are three distinct persons, but notice also in the picture, they are all God. And this is why we are Jesus-centered, because Jesus is God, and this is foundational to our faith. The second reason we are Jesus-centered is because if you're following in your notes, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. Let's go back to that first gray box in your notes and read it in its entirety. You can also see it on your screen. These are verses 15 and 16. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now, some people read the words firstborn over all creation, and they immediately think that Jesus was created. He's not God. He hasn't always existed. And to help us understand this phrase, we need to know what the word firstborn means. The word is protokos, where we get the word prototype. And although it can mean firstborn chronologically, it refers primarily to position or rank. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, which means he existed before anything else was created and is exalted in rank above it. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, captures this. John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And what this means is that Jesus created the world, and Jesus created you. We, we need to know, friends, if you're listening, you are valuable to him. He knows you and he sees you. You were created to know God and be in a relationship with God, the one who created you, and to reflect back to him the gifts that he put in you. It is by him that you were made and for him that you exist. We are a Jesus-centered church because all things were created in Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. As we continue this song, in verse 17, we read, read this with me on your screen. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The third reason why our core value is to be Jesus-centered, if you're following in your notes, is that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He sustains all things. We just talked about creation. We now see Jesus as the glue that holds everything together. Stanford University is the site of a linear accelerator, a two-mile-long atom smasher. I'm going to put a picture on the screen for you so you can get an idea of what that looks like. Only a couple other people and me understand the physics of this, but, but this is where scientists try to pry the lid off the secrets of matter and discover what is inside the miniature world of the atom and the neutron and the proton. But here's the fascinating thing. What they're always discovering is that there is some strange force holding everything together and they don't know what to call it and they don't know how to identify it. But God's word tells us what or rather who holds everything together. It's Jesus. I want to ask you, wherever you are right now, just be still for a moment. Maybe sit back. Take a deep breath. Be still. We are spinning right now at a thousand miles per hour. And we don't even feel it. We should be flying across the room. But you're here and I'm here and all of this is working right now because Jesus is holding it together. Your body is holding together. Oxygen is holding together. The earth is staying in orbit. The sun is burning at exactly the right temperature. And all these things are happening because God is telling them to. He created everything and he holds all things together. He is the sustainer of all things. And that is another reason why we are Jesus-centered. Verse 18 begins with the next reason why our core value is to be Jesus-centered. Would you read this with me on your screen? It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. If you're following in your notes, Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is the leader of the church. He holds the chief position and the highest rank. The leader of the church is not Jeff. It's not Steve. It's not me. It's not the elders. It is Jesus. The church is frequently called a body and Christ is the head of the body and he rules over his church by the power of his word and his Holy Spirit. That's why Steve next week is going to talk about our second core value that we want to be Bible-based. Jesus is the head of the church. I want you to think of our own bodies, right? And the importance of the head, it controls the body. This might be a little graphic, but if you cut the head off a body, the body cannot live. And the same is true of the church. If we cut Jesus out and he's no longer the leader, if we're not Jesus-centered, then we will not get this right. And it is in vain that we meet. The church is never about us. It is about Jesus. We have to be Jesus-centered. And here's a, a promise that I'd like to make to one another. Let's covenant together that if we ever get away from being Jesus-centered, would you please speak up? Please say something so that we can course correct and live out that value. 
Our core value is to be Jesus-centered because Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He is the leader of the church. And in verse 18, we also see, if you're following in your notes, that Jesus reigns over death. Jesus reigns over death. Verse 18 concludes with these words. Would you read them with me? He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. There's that word again, firstborn, firstborn from among the dead. Again, meaning highest rank. He wasn't the first person raised from the dead. He actually raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. But Jesus holds the highest place of those raised from the dead. Remember, Paul was refuting these false teachings that Jesus couldn't be God. And Paul wants us to know without a doubt that Jesus was 100% human as displayed by his death on the cross, and 100% God displayed by his rising from the dead. And Paul included this because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he wasn't God. And us meeting here today is a waste of time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, Paul wrote these words, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But hear me say this, our faith isn't useless because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. And here's the great news. If Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, then it means there will be others who rise from the dead as well. Last week, uh, the dad of some of my best friends growing up died from complications related to covid His name was Dennis Stuckey. You can see a picture of him on the screen. Mr. Stuckey uh, was such a great guy who loved the Lord and loved his family. It was like a second home for me growing up, and he is gone too soon. One of the best descriptions I heard of him was one person who said this about Mr. Stuckey. His resting face was a smile. Isn't that beautiful? His resting face was a smile. And when Brent and Tim called me to tell me their dad was going to pass away, it just took the air out of me. Many of you know what that feels like during this season. There was this feeling of emptiness and loss. So make no mistake about it. Death stings right now. It stings. But Jesus took the ultimate sting of death and was the firstborn from among the dead. And one day there will be a resurrection prayed led by Jesus. And as I prayed with Brent and Tim, who had just said goodbye to their dad, even though they were broken, we thanked God for the resurrection and that Jesus reigns over death. And that's why we want to be Jesus-centered as well. And we're told because Jesus is God, because he's the creator and the sustainer, because he's the leader of the church and because he reigns over death, verse 18 ends with these triumphant words. Would you read, this with, read these words with me in the second gray box on your notes or on your screen? Full voice. Let's say this together, church. So that in everything, Jesus might have the supremacy. We are a Jesus-centered church because Jesus deserves the supremacy in and over all things. First place in our church, 
first place in our marriages, first place in our families, in our jobs, in our time, in our relationships, in our conversations, in our pleasures, in what we watch. And the list goes on and on. We are a Jesus-centered church because in everything, Jesus has the supremacy. Now we could stop right there. We could finish right there, but Paul continues on in verses 19 and 20 and gives us a sixth reason why we are Jesus-centered. If you're following in your notes, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Would you read verses 19 and 20 with me on your screen? It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconcile is a very important word here. It's one of those words in the Bible used to describe salvation. Reconcile means the end of estrangement. It's the bringing of things back together. And when the Bible speaks of reconciliation, it refers to the restoration of a right relationship between God and people. At the end of creation in Genesis, after Jesus created the world, He said, it is good. And his prized creations, Adam and Eve, lived in a perfect relationship with God. No hurt, no pain, no disease, no death, because there was no sin. And then we're told in Genesis 3 that our relationship with God was tainted. It was ripped apart by sin. It was broken, and there was no way we could ever repair it. Yet the Bible tells us that God was pleased He was pleased to send his son to reconcile, restore, and make new again what was broken through his blood on the cross. Through his son, God restored the right relationship between him and us. And let me say this to level the playing field. We all need a savior. We all need a savior. We can't be good enough to be reconciled. We can't check enough boxes of things off the list to do, to do list to accomplish, to be reconciled. We are reconciled to God through Jesus blood shed on the cross. There is no other name by which anyone can be saved. And that's why we value being Jesus centered because Jesus is our savior. Now that's the end of the song in Colossians 1, and that's all the further we were set to go today. But I, I, I just had this impression that we need to go two more verses. I, I want to go two more verses and take just another minute and look at verses 21 and 22 because they're significant. If verses 15 to 20 tell us who Jesus is, verses 21 to 22 tell us who we are. Verse 21 says that we at one time, all of us were alienated from God and enemies of God. We set ourselves against him. And that's who we still are if we have not made the decision to follow Jesus. And then verse 22 is amazing. I want to ask you to read this on your screen with me. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
because Jesus is our Savior. When we trust him and when we follow him, if you're following in your notes, we are now reconciled, holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be part of Jesus' family. His love and his grace abound over you and you can be absolutely free from guilt and condemnation and accusation. The the good news of Jesus is that it's the true story that's too good to be true. We want to be a Jesus-centered church. But as we close today, I want to offer two practical, personal applications as well. First, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to follow Jesus and allow him to be the center of your life. Everyone is in need of a Savior, and today can be the day that you are reconciled to God through the forgiveness of your sin. And you can begin living a Jesus-centered life. If that's a decision that you are considering or that you have made or you want to talk to somebody more about that and what that means for you, we want to ask you to text right now the word CH decision to 94090 and somebody will get back in touch with you to talk you through this step. But I want to invite you to follow Jesus today and begin living a Jesus-centered life. And the second application is one that we give at the end of each year. I want to encourage you and challenge you to be in God's word every day as we enter the new year. If you're following in your notes, in 2021, schedule time in God's word. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him. One of the most transforming practices we can participate in is being actively engaged with the Bible on a daily basis. If we want to live a Jesus-centered life, we need to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus. And if you would like some help in figuring out a plan that works for you, you can go to our website for some more ideas, or you can text right now the word CH Bible to 94090 and we'll send those plans to you. But I want to encourage you to schedule intentional time with Jesus as we begin this new year. Our core values are our deepest beliefs, highest priorities, and fundamental driving forces. And we want to name that our first core value is that we want to be a people who are Jesus-centered. As we thought about how we could respond today, it seemed fitting that after hearing why we want to be Jesus-centered and after listening to this song of the early church, we would spend the next few minutes lifting our voices in song to Jesus. Now, I know it's tempting to be done right now and and tune out, but I want to encourage you to participate for the next few minutes in response to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. I want to invite you to lean in and engage and participate. And after Emma finishes leading us in song, Eric and Terry Woolbright will lead us in a time of communion together. So you can get your juice and crackers ready. In this series, we're we're having a different family lead us in communion each week because we value life together. 
with one another and we value remembering the amazing love of Jesus. So I want to invite you right now to participate with us as we sing and then take communion together. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.